Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, where each week we talk with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Packers lost to the Lions. It's going to be a long, cold winter here in Wisconsin. Best pick up a hobby this winter. Maybe join a card club or the local casserole of the month club. Anyhow, let's get started with a review of the markets. Today is Monday, November 7th. December 22 corn closed down five and a quarter cents at 6.75 and three quarters. November 22 beans closed down 11 and a half at 14.40 even. Turning to our guest, this week it's our privilege to have Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. Mike, what is the Soy Transportation Coalition and what is your mission? Yeah, you know, a number of years ago, a group of soybean farmer organizations, you know, when they were discussing and deliberating about what are the issues that are of consequence to the industry, what what are the issues that these organizations need to be attentive to in order to try to promote the profitability of the U.S. soybean farmer? And transportation increasingly worked its way into that discussion. And, you know, the reality is for soybean farmers in particular, this is this is applicable to all agriculture, but it's particularly acute for the soybean industry because so much of what is produced is actually exported. So when you look at you know, the pie chart of, of soybean production in the United States and, and you consider what, where, is, where is that consumed? Where is it ultimately destined? Over half of that will be labeled international. And these farmer organizations, they understood that and, and recognizing that if that's the reality of our industry, which it is, then we can't just concern ourselves with growing a crop and trying to make investments into ways to allow farmers to more effectively do that. And it's not just a function of demand built for that crop, whether it's international or, or domestic customers. The, the conclusion was we have to also be engaged on transportation issues. And that's really, uh, in short, the, the connectivity between supply and demand. It, it allows what farmers to grow to actually connect with domestic and international customers. And that includes things like rural roads and bridges and our highways and interstates, our freight rail system, our inland waterways, as well as our ports. All of those modes are very important to our industry. And it merited farmer engagement. So the decision was made to create this organization called the Soy Transportation Coalition. And it is funded by a collection of state soybean farmer organizations. So you know, my office, for example, is in, happens to be in the Iowa Soybean Association building, but then there's this group of state soybean associations, the Ohio Soybean Council, the, the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council. There's 13 of them total uh, that all pooled some resources to create the organization. And so that's, that's, those are the issues we work on. So you'll find me working on a, a rural road and bridge issue at the county level on one day, uh, working with the Army Corps of Engineers on the inland waterway system on another day. A, a port investment project um, on another day. So all of those modes that are very important to farmers to be profitable, those are the issues that we concern ourselves with. Well, we certainly know transportation has become a focus as of late. There's been lots of media surrounding various state and local projects regarding bridges and roadways. And one that in particular has gotten a lot of media attention, of course, is 
the Mississippi River and the logistical impacts that low water has had here as of late. Can you give us a brief update on that situation and how some of those issues are impacting the movement of soybeans around the U.S.? It's a it's a definitely a, a significant concern to our industry, and you know the reality is the U.S. soybean industry will not be successful in our export program if we don't have an effective inland waterway system. This very efficient maritime highway that consists of the Mississippi River and the Ohio River and the Arkansas River and the Illinois River, a number of these rivers that penetrate into the most productive farm ground on the planet. And because they do so, it allows farmers who are located in the Midwest to be able to, within a pretty short proximity, access barge transportation, which then connects with the international market because so much of those that those barges, once they're loaded, they will work their way down to our export terminals in the New Orleans area, where 60% of U.S. soybean exports are launched from 59% of corn exports. So this is by far the number one launching point for both commodities. And so it, it really is one of the secrets to our success in outcompeting the rest of the world is having this maritime highway this that a lot that allows barge transportation to occur. So that's the good news, but then the bad news is when conditions are not favorable and they clearly are not right now. We've had persistent lack of precipitation that's resulted in low water levels uh, that we haven't seen since the late 1980s. And it, it, it really impedes the efficiency of barge transportation really in two ways. Number one is it, it moderates the channel depth. And number two, it moderates the channel width. And when you no longer have the same degree of channel depth, you're not able to load as much uh, freight. And in our case, bushels of soybeans per barge out of a concern that you could experience a grounding or have or scrape the bottom of the river, which that essentially closes the river for a period of time until those barges can get extricated. And so by not being able to put as much revenue producing freight per barge, it diminishes the economics of barge transportation. So, you know, you, with, if you have one less uh, say foot of of water depth that you have at your disposal. That means that you are putting five thousand fewer bushels of soybeans per barge. And so, for a typical barge that's that's loaded along the Upper Mississippi River, and this is kind of the area north of St. Louis, you can easily get fifty thousand bushels of soybeans per barge. So, if you all of a sudden have one foot less of water depth, that means you're that's there's ten percent less that you're putting per barge. So channel depth is one issue, but then also channel width. Um, when you have less water, you the shipping channel becomes more narrow. So that means you can't attach as many barges together to form one particular unit that all makes its way in concert down to our export terminals near New Orleans. And when you get south of St. Louis, you can you normally can put a lot of barges together because the river is naturally at that point very wide and quite deep. So very typically you can have 30, 35, even 40 barges all lashed together to form that single unit. 
Uh, and again, with each barge, you have, have easily 50,000 bushels per barge. So you're, you're easily in, in the neighborhood of 800,000 bushels, a million bushels for depending on how big that unit is. So, no, so normally you get 30, 35, 40 barges all lashed together. Now you're looking at 25 as the maximum allowance. So you put those two things together, lack of channel depth, lack of channel width, it really impacts how economical barge transportation is. And so that's that's certainly having an impact on our ability to satisfy international markets. So if if soybeans are having a, a bit of a struggle moving via barge, which it sounds like it is, uh, certainly not efficient as as efficiently as we would typically see, are you seeing shippers pivot more towards rail and or truck? And I mean, how is that having an impact on grain movement? Yeah, f- farmers and and grain handlers are they're all asking themselves the question: What is my option B? What is my option C? And that looks different depending on where you're at and how many how many other options and alternatives that are that are accessible to you. Uh, for some farmers, it is simply putting if they have storage available, they'll just simply put their soybeans or their their grain into their storage bins waiting for a more opportune time when water levels hopefully return to more normal levels. Uh, for others, the op- option B might be driving a longer distance to, say, access a livestock production area. There might be an egg-laying facility, maybe not as close as, maybe not really close to your your farm or your, your elevator, but uh, and you may not normally deliver there because the river is such an attractive option under normal conditions and it might be closer to you. But, you know, with the, with the current situation on the river, you're open to more, some, some of these other opportunities. So you might drive a longer distance to, say, tap into a livestock concentrated area, or it might be a soybean processing facility that you're willing to drive longer distances in order to, to access. It could be driving longer distances to access a rail loading facility that might in turn send those soybeans to, you know, one of our, uh, another coast, uh, another port region or, or a place like the Mexican market, which is an important destination for a lot of U.S. produced soybeans. So it really is going to depend on the, uh, the location. And, you know, some of those farmers and those, those grain handlers that are in those areas that have a lot more options, B and C and D, they're going to be better positioned to weather these challenges. Those who who do not have as many of those options, they're the ones that are going to be more exposed and be more challenged by this situation. That's very insightful. I think uh, everyone has been asking us to kind of help walk and navigate that conversation with them as they look for you know what their alternatives are. And certainly it's one question that we find farmers you know, like you mentioned, looking at at other avenues that they haven't typically explored. Are freight and logistical snarls, and we've been having them really beyond just, you know, barge movement for uh, a couple of years here as a direct impact uh, and result of of COVID-19 and some of the, the supply chain issues it's created. Has it had an impact much on sales of soybeans to other countries? Has it changed kind of that path of sales, the cadence of sales, the buyers that we are typically looking at? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the world has been having 
you know, similar kind of supply chain challenges. So uh, we're not the only, you know, we're, we're not the only ones that have, that have experienced that. But yeah, when, when, you know, all of a sudden you have this normal way of tapping into these international markets. And when all of a sudden you're, you're less able to do that, you know, some of your customers start looking for alternatives as well. You know, we still have barge transportation occur. It's just not at the same level as normal. We are able to move some product to other alternatives like, say, railing uh, soybeans to the Pacific Northwest, which is our number two export region. That's very important. So, you know, we still we still are able to do that. But every time that you're deviating from your most efficient way of doing business, there's, there's going to be costs associated with that. And you may not be able to do the same kind of volume that you normally would. And so it's not a surprise then when you, when you hear about, you know, some of the large multinational agribusinesses talking about maybe their South American assets will have to step up and provide to fill in some of the gap from that the U S is not able to provide because of some of the challenges with our inland waterway system. We're hearing reports about, you know, China buying more uh, soybeans uh, from Brazil, which they don't, this is not the normal uh, window of opportunity for them to do that. You know, the, they usually do so during the South American harvest, which occurs early in the calendar year instead of, you know, instead of our harvest when we normally at this time of the year are the, the overwhelming supplier of soybeans on the international marketplace. So we, we do hear about those things and obviously it is a, it is a concern. You know, we're obviously happy. We still have some of these other, you know, modes of transportation. Uh, We have other markets. So the river is not the only avenue for soybean farmers to deliver what they grow. There are other places for it, but it is a significant part uh, of our industry, you know, 62% of U.S. soybean exports are transported to the export terminal via barge. It's just a, an enormous, you know, part of our success. And so you, you can't have those kind of challenges with our inland waterway system without it having an impact on our industry. Beyond the, the river and barge situation as it is today, what other transportation issues are you and the Soy Transportation Coalition monitoring and looking at The condition of our rail industry is something that's really of, of concern for us. And, you know, of course, there's this backdrop of our supply chain challenges that we've had over the last couple of years. And, you know, so many of the our various modes of transportation are under stress. They're overly subscribed and rail has been one of those modes. And, you know, like a lot of other industries, Railroads are struggling to get the kind of workers that they need, the volume of workers that they need. And so they, by their own admission, have not been providing the quality and reliable service that they expect from themselves and that their customers expect from them. Then on top of that, you have this increasing uncertainty uh, due to the possibility of a railroad strike. The railroads Uh, our large railroads and the railroad worker unions, and there's 12 of them that all bargain collectively, are are currently trying to finalize a new five-year contract. And uh, of those 12 unions, seven of them have voted to accept a proposed agreement 
that was that was submitted earlier this year. But unfortunately, two of the unions have actually voted to not ratify it. And it, even one of them calling for a strike, suggesting that a strike is possible as early as November 19th. So that's something that really provided additional agitation within the industry. Because, you know, with the, with the inland waterways being not operating at full throttle, people are looking for lifelines. People are looking for alternatives. And railroads are the natural alternative for moving freight long distances in an economical manner. And, you know, here all of a sudden you have this big question mark that has been imposed on our, on our freight rail industry. And so it's, it really is further challenging our industry's ability to get product to market for, for agriculture to be successful. You have to have a lot of predictability and reliability to your supply chain. You can't just pivot on a dime. You can't just jump from one mode of transportation to the other based on the the time of day. You have to have these modes of transportation like rail, like barge, like trucking to be able to provide some degree of predictability and reliability, some forecast uh, of reliability. And and unfortunately the the freight rail sector is not is not providing that right now and we hope that they will. So this is something that obviously our freight rail system is is really uh, of consequence. You know, the condition of our ports, making sure that they're properly capitalized and, and you know, we, we've continued to work on projects in the Mississippi Gulf region, but also the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, one other thing that, that we've, you know, recently, you know, made in an announcement is the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway. It is not a, a significant launching point for soybean exports. Uh, it pales in comparison to the volumes that we send out of the Mississippi Gulf and the Pacific Northwest. But the argument that you know I like to reinforce is it is a supply chain option that should be increasingly explored and pursued. It's open for business. It has the ability to accommodate more. And it's always a good day to diversify your supply chain. It's particularly a good day to diversify it when you've got all these challenges with other modes of transportation, like our rivers, like our rail sector. So we're, um, you know, encouraging people for those who live in a, in a region that's close to the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway, that maybe that's an option for them and maybe they need to explore it further. Well, Mike, we certainly appreciate you and your entire team continuing to monitor all of these various transportation issues, kind of go to bat, if you will, for the American soybean and help, you know, make investments where those need to be made. Before we wrap up, it's the end of harvest across a lot of the Midwest and everybody likes to hear how the crop yielded. In your assessment and maybe what you've heard from either growers or associations that you work with, what was your assessment of the U.S. soybean crop? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be a record crop, but it's going to be a very strong crop. And there's certainly some areas of the country where there was pretty considerable drought conditions, and it obviously had a, a pretty notable impact on yields. But even in those areas, you know, hearing farmers say, I was expecting it to be very anemic, and it ended up being better than I thought. So even getting those kind of testimonials were encouraging. But then, you know, hearing some of the other areas of the the country where yields have been exceptional and, you know, obviously that's encouraging to hear. So 
it, you know, it shows that, you know, the technology that underpins a lot of this, a lot of these seeds and, and plants are pretty successful at helping produce a robust crop. So that's really encouraging. And, you know, when, particularly when you've got this all against the backdrop of global food shortages, it was, there was a clear understanding that a lot was riding on the shoulders of the American farmer this year. And American farmers once again delivered, as they always do. We obviously just hope that we've got a transportation system that can also step up to the plate and accommodate it. That's right. The American farmer once again delivered, and we're thankful for all of his work that they do day in and day out to help feed uh, a world that continues to desire a healthy, safe food source. Mike, we really appreciate you taking time to join us today. If any of our listeners would like to learn more about the Soy Transportation Coalition, how is it best for them to get a hold of you or learn more? They can just simply go to our website at soytransportation.org. My contact information is listed right on the website. People can reach out to me directly. Wonderful. Thanks again, Mike. It's been a pleasure uh, learning more about uh, the Soy Transportation Coalition and their efforts in helping soybeans move across the globe more efficiently. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please feel free to subscribe, like, or encourage a friend to listen to From the Furrow. We'd also like to thank Corey Romero, our wonderful producer, and Paige Driscoll, our media expert, for mixing and mastering today's show.